Uh, hello and welcome to this new episode of the Values Workshop. I am privileged to have uh, one of the country's uh, foremost uh, yoga teachers. She's also a doctor and uh, I've had the honor of uh, knowing her closely for a little bit of time in my life. Uh, welcome, uh, ma'am, to the show. Uh, I have with me uh, Miss, uh, Mrs. Rajvi Mehta. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Just a correction. I am not a medical doctor. I am a biologist. So that's where I've got my doctorate. Okay. So there are questions that are going to come that side also, hopefully, uh, during <laughs> the conversation. Okay. Uh, so as is the norm, uh, I was thinking of what do I want to start with? So it is none of the two things uh, that I mentioned about you. Uh, it's a personal uh, reading of how I see you or I have seen you over uh, a period of time. So there are uh, two uh, facets of you that I found uh, very fascinating. One is uh, that you're very practical. And the other is that uh, there is also a sense of compassion in whatever you do. Or at least I had that sense whenever... Uh, I've seen you talk to anybody or teach them about yoga or, or anything at all. So uh, in, in everyday discourse, we generally see these two as not reconciling so easily because when people are practical, they tend to be uh, uh, almost emotionless very often. Uh, but you don't seem to have this. So is this cultivated or have you worked upon it? How does this work for you? Or are you even aware that you do this in this manner? I would say I'm not aware that I do it in this manner. For that matter, I, when you said it, I'm thinking about it. Is that so? So, well, as you say so, yes. Uh, the thing is, you know, the subject of yoga. So when we talk of, uh, I mean, I've been a student of yoga for a very long period of time since my school days. And it's a very practical subject where philosophy is incorporated. So it's only natural that, uh, you know, practicality comes in because when you study things, you have no idea about the reality. You know, when you get educated, formal education, but when you see, you find that what I have studied and what real life is, is often different. And that's where people start getting segregated. So what I, I have studied through the practice of yoga is that you, you have to give a solution. So when you see, you, you have to give the effect. What route you give is not important. What path you take is unimportant, but certain effects. So say in a yoga class, if somebody comes in and I have a list of asanas that I'm going to do and I do it, but the person is unable to do it, then yeah. what should we do? And most of the cases, that's what happens because every individual's body is different, age is different, condition is different. So that's where the practicality comes in and it surely comes in something which is imbibed by looking at uh, my guru, Yogacharya B.K. Sangha. So we just grew up with it. So we saw that all the time. So we thought that's the way to do it. And second thing is, yeah, compassion. Because when you see suffering, it's only natural. You know, and if somebody, so when people come to class, if people come ordering around, you you behave. Uh, okay, you know, you, you're not there. But when you see suffering and then you see people making an effort, then it's only natural as human beings, you reciprocate. So I guess it just goes hand in hand because... Unless you're compassionate, you won't be practical. I would say it goes hand in hand. Unless you're not compassionate, you will yeah. never be practical. You will just do things the way they are. But here you see that I don't have to do it as a job. It's my duty. So then you will see I need to do something so that what I intend to do happens in that person. 
if it's like a job then i just have to uh, tick mark i have done one two three four things what happens is not my concern but for me i believe it's it's my duty so i will try my best to my best ability to see and that i think naturally brings both together wonderful uh, so uh, on this line of thought itself uh, another question has just sprung up in my mind how do you view uh, uh, okay i just bring an aspect uh, when we used to come to you and my wife was ailing one of the things that i struggled very much uh, much before we met you also was the sense of pity that lot of people showed us it uh, it actually made me angry i had to work a lot to just accept that indians are like that and people walking on the street are going to stare and they will come and they actually came and interfered they said no you have to tell me what is wrong and uh, if they were afraid i was okay i could understand but they would actually interfere in our daily life much before we came to you this kept happening but over a period i learned that it was their way of expressing their concern it wasn't really in a way trying to interfere with what was happening with us uh, so how do you view pity uh, i bring this in the context of what you said because a lot of people don't say that compassion is practical most of the time it is seen as a soft is something that is so soft that it makes you uh, unambitious or uh, may not make you successful in the world or uh, so i want to know because you have also been successful at whatever you picked up in whatever way you chose it to be of course uh, well first and foremost i feel pity it's to me i mean you feel it but there's no need to express it first and foremost because the person who is having a problem already knows it so what's the point telling that person oh i feel so sorry for you it's very superficial mm. what are you yeah. giving and in fact yeah in my heart i may feel bad i may talk to my close people i see this and i i do feel bad about it but what's the point telling the person they already know they're suffering so by adding yeah. on i think it's just superficial expression or maybe it's just expressing sympathy but i realize sympathy does no good i mean i need to be need to be sympathetic rather than express sympathy because expression makes no difference to the person i mean yeah first time maybe so i i, I do believe that expression is a very superficial uh, thing i do i don't demote it or something but personally i feel that you know for oh, bichara that it means nothing second thing is that when you um, somebody comes in as i have been trained as a scientist uh, i mean my profession so if you are a little more analytical so i look at it very objectively so then there is no sense of pity or thing you know karma that, that point i don't look at it like that so they have come okay this is a particular problem let me see with uh, whatever knowledge i have of both the sciences what can possibly work so then when you become objective you don't see the individual in that sympathetic manner you know that pitiable manner you see to look at the expressions of the person you see to see where they're getting comfort because it's a constant feedback see certain yeah. things come so frequently so that you have a thing in mind you know if somebody has a calf pain you sort of have an idea what to do lower back pain something you have an idea but when you come across these challenging so it's a constant learning for us so you are seeing them so you are very objective so there's no sense of such thoughts don't even occur you're objectively assessing seeing the expression seeing the level of comfort seeing the responses 
so at that time there's no uh, need or there's no thought of you know showing anything it's an objective uh, a subjective objective interaction so objective thinking subjective observation again objective thinking subjective and it goes on so there's a dialogue without words so in that there is no place of sympathy or pity or anything and i think if i be just being yes compassion is very different we need to be compassionate but pitiable is not what it is because when that person is coming in with so much strength and hope you know that it is an effort often so when people come it it inspires us that somebody has taken so much effort done that and we cannot just oh bechara and leave it then what's the point you might as well do it off phone so i i very strongly feel that yes we have to try our best obviously uh, it's not that you succeed but even if to me what is success is if today is better than yesterday that's enough you know and over a period of time because we are going to have phases you know today is better tomorrow is worse and it goes up and down but in the process overall if you feel that the person is more comfortable happier what else do we want and maybe over a period of time with god's and guru's grace if things improve fine if not at least we've tried whatever is possible mm-hmm. this is interesting because this brings me to two more aspects that i just realized that uh, i had not noticed was that uh, even with my wife while she was uh, training uh, with the exercises that were given to her the asanas that she was doing there was no sense of helplessness there was always this sense of purpose or Uh, if i may loosely use the word dignity so her fight actually became we became better individuals now because you were about to describe success uh, i thought success is living happily for whatever time we've been given uh, as much as we can obviously there are challenges but in that sense uh, it did change our mindset towards life itself so we never approach things with saying whether it would happen or not it was what is possible at this point of time let us just try and do this much so yeah thank you for that uh, i didn't realize that we were also doing this during uh, the phase we did realize it because there was this sense this was sense of calm in the way we were approaching things instead of oh uh, this is uh, an asan that is easy today or not easy today or today we have this problem or that problem but it was always seen as problem solution rather than oh this is an unsolvable unsolvable problem that we have for a long time which we had we had a clue of how difficult it would get but it was never we didn't carry it on our shoulders all the time uh another thing that comes to mind now uh, uh one of the things i was thinking uh, when we decided that i was going to uh, talk to you was uh people who are successful i i have a feeling they are not successful by chance however good bad or whatever sphere they are known for but they are not ordinary individuals they have a mind which is extraordinary most of the time is what my understanding is uh, even people who do wrong sometimes uh, i was watching uh, scam so it was the arshad mehta story and his confidence even in a whatever a fictional take on his life perhaps is extraordinary and i could not believe that somebody can go into each situation knowing that the things are so bad and i happen to know a lot of other people but in your case uh, i my question is uh, how does one become so finished as a as a finished in the sense that there is this sense of purpose and confidence and 
the way you go about things uh, almost consistently, which mostly uh, people who are uh, waver, who waver when their emotions take them here and there, they don't give the same vibe. So in your sense, it was always the sense of purpose and you knew what was going to happen in the class and uh, everybody was on their aware alert mode, if I were to call it that, because you were so and without being tense about it. So again, did you start like that? Did it change overnight or how did that come to be? To be honest, now that you mention all this, yeah, <laughs> but... Honestly, I think, you know, uh, possibly yoga, yoga and my guru, Guruji Bikya Sangar, and my parents have played a very big role in this. So uh, literally, see, when you start something very young, there is never a situation where there's a change in life. You know, when you start older, you have something to compare with, oh, I was like this and I became like this. This is what is just natural. So, I mean, now you mention, I would say, what is yoga all about? Being in the moment, being in the present. So that's exactly what we have been taught. So when we were taught or we are being taught, so even today we are students, so when Guruji would teach us and that's gone on for decades, we are very fortunate to have had Guruji B.K. Sangha teaching for decade, for many decades, you know, literally we've been part of the class. So it was you were always there in the moment, do this and you were doing it and then you're observing and you're going. So this is how we saw life as. So while practicing, if you're focusing on your big toe and say why your hand is going back, so you learn to extend your mind from the big toe, not shift it. Otherwise, your mind shifts from the big toe to the mind and that is like a pendulum. So your emotional shift, the mind shifts, the consciousness shifts. But when you're practicing, if you extend the mind, so that's what we were taught in the asana class, but that was the training that was happening uh, back in the background as an individual. So that's how life went on. So, okay, there is a condition. How do you handle it? You handle it. Then you say, your mind goes. So you sort of learn to be. So that's what Guruji always said. You know, asanas actually help you to be in the state of neutrality. And that is yoga. Being in a state of neutrality. There is no duality. There is samatvam, as the Gita would say. So what we are talking about is like while you are going, of course, we are not so stable. We are not yogis. We are practitioners. So there is a swing, but the effects are not that much. So you don't have these phases. You know, you are sort of within a range between two standard deviations. You remain. And most of the time it is there. Of course, there would be phases. But you sort of in, in uh, advertently learn to have these kind of a balanced state. Now that you mention it, I wouldn't say that I have had it, but you mention it. So I think a lot of this has come as a part of being a student of yoga and that is good fortune and Guruji and that's where you just learned this so it is just normal to us so if we teach I mean the first thing is if you are teaching it is taught that you have to be totally into it there is no way if a teacher would give instructions and not look at the students we've had it because how can you verbally do something when you cannot see that is being affected by the students it is being imbibed by the students so then you might as well put a take recorder. Why should you be there in class? So automatically you develop those skills over the years. So maybe first time you are you're memorizing. So now everything comes spontaneously. So you learn that over a period of time. And I would say like, you know, for everything, uh, Gita Ji, as you are aware, is Guruji's daughter. And I remember once uh, I was to give a talk and I asked her before the talk, Gita Ji, how long should it be? So she says, whatever has to be said, you have to say it. 
you know i mean what i meant was in a very practical sense this is half an hour or something so there's no whatever it is has to be said don't come here and just tick mark you know why in marathi we'll say party la tu na lavla so don't just come and say yeah, i have done it it should be whatever needs to be given has to be given so that i think that it was their way of teaching us the sense of dharma the sense of duty and i guess it just grows on you you don't do it all the time but we hope that such phases are lesser and as far as possible obviously there are phases where one may become mechanical as would say you know yeah. give out and oh, there would be phases so but overall i think these phases hopefully are lesser and we do realize in our conscience that yes some today it has been like this that times but most of the times you know it's just natural to get involved so that's why i always say teaching of yoga in guruji's tradition in the ayanger method there are no instructors because instruction is one sided you instruct what happens so they are all teachers you instruct you observe then the next instruction comes so there's always a unspoken dialogue so although the student doesn't get much chance to speak but there is an unspoken dialogue between the teacher and student all the time and naturally if there is a dialogue you have to be alert i mean you can't go mind can't go to sleep and then you start you can't have a dialogue in such cases so that's how it works um can you uh, go back to a time when you did not have this faculty maybe just to uh, give us an example of where you were perhaps reprimanded or were inattentive as a kid in something a story which kind of exemplifies what you're talking about uh well i don't think so uh because like i said i started yoga when i was very young and yoga in the sense guruji used to come to mumbai every weekend so my father had started when uh, i was just 6 or 7 so we grew up use stories about guruji would go to sunday class come back <laughs> and talk about guruji so i'd never met him but you heard about him and there was something different about it you know it was something you look forward to and then when uh, we were a little older me and my brother and sisters we started attending the classes so sunday to sunday we went for this classes so there was no idea because you're you're in the growing up phase so there's no yeah, idea yeah. where you had any idea where you were like this or you weren't like this it just happened so yeah sometimes people would say you know we would have the class on sunday and people would go to picnics now somebody asked why did you go so we have no answer why we went i mean possibly at that age and those times if somebody said you had to go your parents said you went and then later yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't they didn't have to force or tell us something kept us going now i have no answer what kept us going maybe something in our past or whatever it yeah. is something kept us going maybe some you know although there would be body aches and pains you know you couldn't laugh the next day because your abdominal muscles and every week you yeah. were discovering new muscles but that didn't uh, deter so i i guess you just sort of you didn't realize you were doing anything special or something special was happening to you or whether it was the genes i have no clue but i would say over a period of time when you see people in the same phase as you uh you know friends or colleagues and then you realize maybe it's the yoga so for example uh, i would say we i decided i mean i was very fascinated with the mountains so i said okay i had no idea and some people were going so directly decided to go on a mountaineering course now as quite ignorant that these mountaineering courses are tough they are run by the defense the military with their enormous discipline and having grown up in bombay you have never seen that level of discipline which is there in the services mm-hmm. and i was very skinny then possibly i weighed about 35 36 kilos and i went there 
and they had asked you know running so much swimming but they didn't check so i possibly didn't even try and i landed up there and then the first day uh, they made us do some exercises you know on the ground and i landed up uh, sort of having a cut you know there was some stone now i said as it is when i went people were not very happy to see me because they wondered you know you're going to go uh, for a month you're going to carry 20 25 kgs on your back at some point of time and uh, you know you're going to go to the altitude of 17000 so and somebody who has not trained i mean the only yeah. thing i did was yoga so i didn't complain because i said it look you know you're already complaining and and having lived on the place you have no clue then later i realized that we started with a batch of 60 but finally only 18 or 19 made it to the height gaining they took us and i believe that it was all about the mind than the body so that's where you realize like those who are definitely most were i would say 80% were more physically fitter than me in in, in external appearance you know they had done they were sports people etc of course mm. the mountain people were totally different they have it in them you know they used to the altitudes but i realized that it was all about the mind at a, at a point and that's where you realize the mental strength possibly i very strongly believe came from yoga so you know i felt yeah it was good to complete it and that also gave you a lot of sense of realizing how many things in life we take it for granted which don't necessarily are so many things which we feel are necessary are not really necessary so i felt that it, it gives a lot of grounding and maybe most children or teenagers should be exposed to this because yeah. you know today with the standard of living improving uh, smaller families parents want to give the best to their children you know see that they have no difficulties in life if the parents have had difficulties they are extra careful and i feel that if the children don't learn to fall how will they learn to get up so when they are young if they fall they'll get up but when they get older i mean today if somebody in their 30s 40s 50s 70s falls it's very difficult to get up so if they have learned it they know so i think all this does help in you know developing an individual yeah. um can you uh, there is one aspect uh, this also connects back to the first part of the question which was the about the practicality part of it although you have uh, deferred this attribute coming to you from yoga uh, very often uh, very few friends uh, Of late, all my friends are mostly meditators, and also we don't go into this emotional trauma bit of uh, too many things. But uh, the more I go outside my immediate circle and deal with people, I find uh, these superficial exp- experiences or uh, exploration or uh, talks uh, are very important to a lot of people. If you make the right noises and so have you been uh, ever looked down upon saying that you never show any emotion and you are not like within your friends or growing up with certain people this is a random question but it is just to say that as you're growing you're also becoming a certain kind of person and then uh, or were people around you always like that uh, stable and no even they were i mean obviously everybody even you would have your own ups and downs it's not yeah. that you are also going to be stable you will have your phases but possibly the graph is not too much to show yeah. and uh, yes there are people who, who may have but it didn't really i don't even realize it because it was unimportant i mean what does it really matter what people say so possibly if they have said it it's not registered 
So most of the time, I mean, if you say your friends are those who have similar thinking or who sort of are with you. So it doesn't matter. They know you are like this, A is like this, B is like this, and you just sort of uh, get along with it. So I, I would say that even in science, for example, uh, you know, when you're really getting into your research, you have certain attributes. Only then you survive. Otherwise, you leave it. So when you are into science, there is certain, there is a lot of discipline that comes in. There is that inquiring mind that comes in. You know, the articulation comes in. So you just learn on the way to handle it. So okay. possibly people around you are, know you as it is. So even if they comment or if they would have commented, possibly I don't even remember about it. Because uh, just the expression and all, at some point you know. I mean, everybody knows. Even a small, you know, knows that this is just said, oh, how cute. And how cute, the way you say it expresses what you actually feel. So yeah. you, you sort of read through it and uh, all these things don't really matter. Okay. Uh, how did you uh, uh, choose science or was it by chance or what happened uh, in your academic uh, this that convinced you that you wanted to walk that route? Uh, well, I wouldn't say I would have planned everything because you do know that things planned don't essentially happen. So I possibly, you know, I mean, it wasn't too far thinking or, you know, planning and so it didn't work. Yeah, it was like a very normal course. You did your 10th, you did your 12th. And I studied microbiology. I found it fascinating. I found the genetics fascinating. So I finished my master's. And then, yeah, there was this whole thing that I wanted to research and, you know, because, uh, sort of get into research, ask questions. And possibly during our master's days, we visited some ICMR institutes. And in those days, they were compared to colleges, you know, which had very limited. Uh, I mean, naturally, it was more an academic environment. You didn't have those infrastructures. So it was quite inspiring. So I just applied to two places. And one happened to be working with uh, leprosy bacteria, which was closer to my field of study. And the other was working in the field of IVF, which was very new. It had just happened two months ago. So I opted for IVF, which was a challenge because I had studied only microbiology, which was working with unicellular organisms. And here you're working in a totally different field. Uh, you know, yeah. Have, uh, yeah, endocrinology, which all this was something which was totally alien to me. And the challenge was that I was working with somebody who was responsible for the first baby in the country and extremely busy. And they were not the internet days, so you could look up things so or ask questions if you are uh, starting off and you have somebody who is very, 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 very senior. Naturally, you can't ask stupid questions. So that was a good challenge in a way. So whatever she would say, uh, Dr. Induja, with whom I worked, Dr. Anand Kumar. So whatever you heard, you picked up this work, went to the library, looked it up, and you started sort of understanding from scratch. So that's how I got involved deeper into science. And I found it very fascinating because there were so many things which were not having answers, there were a lot of questions. And that give you us uh, uh, the analytical thinking. And my PhD mentor was also extremely strict about way we spoke, way we wrote, which was very closer to yoga in that sense. So even if you made some, I remember writing some things that we recruited so many. So saying you didn't recruit them, you enrolled them. So you know, these small things started giving you a lot of clarity of thought of how we wrote. And that was one possibly one of the tough trainings. So we had to write what project we were to do and it was some 20 pages. You would possibly see the first paragraph and throw it away. It's not written correctly with some corrections and you went again and you went again. So that gave a lot of patience and then you realized later 
that oh you know how clear it should be so that gives you you know the the way science should be and possibly same time yoga was helping it so i think both going uh, helping you get that clarity and here you are objectively seeing that you get clarity so i presume that it it both worked with each other so the stresses the perception of stress was much lesser but at the same time you know yoga brought you down so you had an intellectual growth you had an emotional growth both phases so that's how science came in and then i did whatever was possible uh, with science and continue to do so uh, there are two questions that are coming to mind one question i wanted to ask you you said you couldn't ask stupid questions yeah uh, in a day and age where people get overawed by a lot of things very quickly uh, whatever little i have heard of finder uh, guruji and uh, his personality even the photographs i have seen there is a set, certain sense of no nonsense about him so could you tell us uh, a bit about how you went about learning and what was the procedure how he taught also because my my kid is now a teenager in the last year of school and whatever i see of other friends who have kids in school and the it's it's very uh, a for apple almost we are almost uh, not breeding uh, an environment of knowledge it's more of uh, memorization of some kind or uh, they are not free thinkers in the real sense and they are not even being challenged unless they are being challenged on how can you Uh, crack these three chapters in a manner where you can reproduce it in the news in the papers that you are giving. How do you? How were your learning days? A little bit about that, and yeah. uh, what did that you inculcated in your own style, having learned the way you did. Ah, uh, yeah. What you say is very true. That you know, our academic education often has been. Uh, I believe it's changing now, but it yeah, has it always been that. Uh, it was possibly culturally it was by rote learning and people sort of threw it out and uh, yeah so it was more about memorization uh it was more about just the three r's and as now more and more people are coming out that that was possibly in the night not the right education system uh you know i mean there was a time where our scriptures etc were not even even in the 70s and 80s for that matter not really looked up to you know there was this whole sense we still had the white skin syndrome as i call it where you take from the both so i guess yes that was there but uh, i i guess at some point you get the freedom to think so maybe in sometimes in school sometimes in college sometimes afterwards so sometimes you do get it uh, as far as yoga is concerned yes guruji has been very very strict i mean as far as class is concerned he could not tolerate any nonsense for him the subject was sacred the subject was divine and if somebody took it casually he couldn't tolerate it that's for sure he would tolerate anything but you know a very casual approach sorry so i would say when i started like i said i started you know going to classes i don't think he must have i felt he must have looked at me for at least 4 5 6 years obviously he was there the class was not very big there were 30 people or so 30 35 people so obviously he was seeing me but never so one point then i went sunday to sunday obviously there was not much involvement or anything you just did it much later i think after 8 9 10 years we decided with a friend to go to pune to study at the institute 
and i must say that it was one to study one was to be on your own you know go to the institute and stay there and and that's where the seriousness came in so we were doing vipri dandasan on the chair and guruji came and said what are you doing and he pushed there was pain because there was you know we always remained within confines of our limitations or you know this is our boundary and then immediately but we were very happy what was the happiness at least is noticed us you know that kind and then you saw that as you got serious about it you know possibly from within you could see that he was teaching you much more or you could receive much more so as a guru he was possibly seeing you testing you you know whatever you can inculcate or imbibe while he is just teaching the general class and then he sort of seriousness would individually address you in the class or teach so outside class he was a totally different person in that sense very friendly very compassionate a very considerate now we for example if we went to pune for something you know to the institute and uh, i remember once i must have uh, by the time i started the magazine and gone there and reached around 536 now he is the guru and generally he would get a cup of coffee from home around 4 o'clock or 3:30 he immediately said he called and said she has come give her coffee i am a student you know those small things no you know, you have come directly from bombay so that shows i mean he was what stature so you know all these small things that we saw it sort of seeped into us small small things that he did i remember once my sister was here from us she had small kids they were very small they were playing around in the hall 3 years 2 years or something and then got cranky and suddenly they were quiet and then they had uh, you know a little small plate with some biscuits saying where did you get it guruji brought it and gave it to them so you see that the small i mean it was not that they are disturbing they were you know so we saw these you learned so much from him not essentially being in class or through the instructions many many such incidents so and but for as far as yoga is concerned he was literally he didn't do yoga he was in yoga all the time whatever age whatever he was you know so you, there, there was no see normally when you know a person initially you may be awed by the person you may be awed by the stories you have heard about the person as you go closer as you know the person you start seeing the limitations but you accept it because you have been inspired or you have respect but as you know more you see it in this yeah. case the more you started knowing him the more you realized that you know there was something very powerful about him absolutely zero duality absolutely the simplicity it's unimaginable the kind of simplicity he had the kind of access he had to people because later as you grow and you meet more people you see that they are surrounded by a group of people you know there is some group which is there there is not much transparency you don't see what's happening in his case the house was always open when people traveled his doors were open he would uh, i mean i had the opportunity to travel with him not as much as some of the others but yes a lot in Uh, within india up many times and then china and he wouldn't eat whatever they would give say come on all of you we eat together so um, another example now in china when he went he was 92 okay and he was literally treated he was like a rock star i believe me there were crowds of people coming in so we had to form a chain so that you know we were worried that somebody should not push him i mean ages there and yeah. you know they were so enthusiastic 
and in that phase so after the class he slept and his grandson was staying with him and then at night we were seven eight of us we were talking and she said we just gone to sleep there the uh, 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 the intercom rings and it's guruji so normally that hotel guy would get a class of milk or something so kaushik said that i've told him not to send it because guruji is gone to sleep he doesn't want the milk he rings the bell guruji goes and opens the door then he phones kaushik this man has come do you want it and then he says okay he answers him very politely quietly now somebody possibly would have possibly it was me i would have got irritated you know i've gone to sleep why haven't you i mean this small incidents so even once i remember there was a phone call at the institute asking for whether tomorrow was a holiday now it has been announced there were notices he quietly answers people don't even know it is dbk sanger answering the phone call because he's sitting there he picks it up so that level of uh, humility and simplicity also it appears it appeared that he was very strong yes he was no nonsense geeta ji was no nonsense when it came to the subject but otherwise he was absolutely grounded so then where was the question for any of his students if we really call ourselves students you know we we try and there was a warning he gave that everybody as they go on the path you get certain attributes you get certain qualities which is the practice gives it to you and then he would say that many people who go on this path have a fall and he would say you have two avenues bhoga and apavarga if you you unknowingly or intentionally select the path of bhoga you get carried away by all the things that people tell you about you you're on the path of bhoga so yoga does give us so you get certain things so people say it and it's very easy for us teachers now if somebody has some knee pain and you cure it and this person has gone to five different orthopedics so i can feel oh what the orthopedic didn't teach i taught so i am greater but the fact is we are just messengers we have picked it up from there and we are putting it here we are couriers so where's the question of the sense yeah for a moment you feel good okay you know yeah. that person feels that that is that little high but it doesn't last long so you know it has to come down so for us you know wherever we met him and like i said we had the good fortune to be with him for nearly 30 35 years so even if there was a scope of us going in that direction he would immediately be brought down so <laughs> that was that was i think a great good fortune because you went there and you realized not that he had to tell us anything but you when you go there and you in front of the sun you realize who are you so automatically you get grounded <laughs> and that was the good fortune that he came here and then pune being so close we went so frequently so yeah. naturally uh, okay uh, one thing that i would want to ask you we had i had done some yoga earlier in my life and uh, there are so many other uh, ways of pursuing yoga uh, that are available in the market a lot of people have a lot of to you what is yoga if you had to kind of define it and simplify it in a manner which is non um non dual in that sense if yeah yoga would be a complete total awareness of yourself your self in means the body because without the body we don't exist and that total awareness which develops in you a sense of being in the present and neutrality so total sense of yourself So then you are in yoga. So we, I, I, uh, which is not does doesn't happen most of the time. 
you know you you can't be totally aware maybe in the asana but maybe if little by little by little it spreads so so then you develop with this total sense of awareness uh, the ability to be in the present actually makes a big difference because most of the time the past haunts us uh, past generates fear and the future creates anxiety so if we learn to live and that's what would happen in class because there is no chance the way we are taught and the way this tradition works you barely have a chance to sway you know you are fully in the asana what you are doing or you are fully within the pranayama you are doing yes there would be phases of wandering but because you are fully there you sort of develop certain attributes within you so it's like being totally aware so it's not about flexibility or what people see uh, sometimes you know people would sort of tag this is physical i mean there's nothing like physical how can the body and mind be separated can the body exist without the mind or can the the mind is free so when both are in unison and that's where so even if you are practicing meditation the body comes into picture because if your body slouches mind wanders so where's the meditation so why in the mind so as guruji would define dharana is a center of focus and when that same focus spreads all across without dilution dharana turns to dhyana so that's all ashtanga yoga but it all happens so when you are doing an asana so if you extend the hand if i extend the hand where is it all the awareness is here so you extend now you will see immediately the mind starts changing so you extend i need to feel why do i feel only index why do i feel the little finger and that's where the postural changes mind gets absorbed so it evolves so you can do it as say in tadasana urdhvastasana now to get that state in a more complex condition you know poses say backward or forward or, so as the poses get complex you start uh, realizing that you have to work a little more so as i often say you know people like the yoga sutra says stiram sukham asanam stirata is stability sukhasta is a sense of pleasure joy comfort and asana loosely translated as posture now how do you translate it being in any comfortable position so i am within the confines of my comfort or being comfortable in any position that's all the difference so that's why there was challenge you know and that's what guruji on side because guruji studied practical first he started when he was 15 and 16 there was no philosophy taught he never was taught sutras or yoga sutras nothing but through the practice then as he got older he started reading the texts many texts all the texts on yoga and then he said is what am i doing matching what the text says so if the text says so if i was an intellectual and i reading an armchair yogi as one would say you say stiram sukham asam is being comfortable being in any comfortable position so if i'm comfortable here i don't go beyond but being comfortable in any position was a big lesson in life so gradually you start breaking the boundaries and that is the reason that this tradition went across because people realized it was transforming them it was ab- their ability their perceptions the way they looked at life was transforming to such an extent and nobody realized it so you know if you ask anybody you will say yes they had there has been a transformation when did it happen the answer is very difficult because it's so slow it is happening you can't pinpoint and say i was at this crossroad and i took this decision 
So say, for example, if people eat non-vegetarian food, Guruji has never ever said, don't eat this or eat this. He's saying, what business? I grew up, when I was growing up, I didn't even have food. So who am I to say to be choosy about food? So he never advised anybody on food. But there were hundreds of practitioners who were born non-vegetarians, gave up. If you ask them, they said, uh, well, not any specific reason. Uh, somehow, you know, we didn't, we lost interest. We felt it was affecting our practice. We felt this. And that's how. So that is, um, this is one aspect, dietary aspect. There are so many aspects about us. You know, the emotional, the anger, the thought. I mean, there are hundreds of attributes a human being has. And you see, they start getting transformed. This is obvious. And there's no specific reason they did it. You know, like people have a reason, religious reason, or they have decided because of some tapa or, you know, some ailments, you decide I give up. There's nothing like that. It's just gradual. So Parsis, Americans, Europeans, anybody who have grown up like that. So that shows that there is some transformation occurring, which is taking you on a different course of life.